Welcome to episode 54 of No Rares Required, Azorius Crafty Flyers. Every week I do an in-depth guide to a specific archetype, and this week I'm going to attempt to get my podcast set up on multiple platforms. So look for me on Spotify, Podbean, CastBox, Audible, Google, and Apple Podcasts. This is a draft skeleton limited to 15 commons, 7 uncommons, and 1 rare. And since some of you might be listening audio only, we'll walk through uh, each card as well as some alternatives. Uh, my overall takeaway is focus on flyers. Um, I think they are a little bit better than just strictly going for the mid-range craft. And um, But you do still want a couple of craft cards, specifically ones that craft into great mid-range threats if you aren't able to get things done in the air. And don't be afraid of one-drops. They have performed quite well. I don't recommend going below 17 lands despite the low curve, uh, just because your mid-range uh, crafts are usually six or more to trigger and are definitely worth flipping. So remember to hit like and sub subscribe for daily Magic the Gathering content, and let's begin. Ultec Cloud Guard is my top performing white common. Uh, you get a 3-2 flyer for 3 and a white uh, that enters the battlefield. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you create a 1-1 colorless gnome artifact creature token. And there are some interesting artifact synergies. So not only do you get a flyer, but you're also helping with the uh, general go wide. Also, Water Wind Scout is kind of doing a similar thing. For two and a blue, you get a 2-2 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, you create a map token. So you get two rectangles and one. And there's a lot of that going on in the set. And um, you do want to leverage as many rectangles as you possibly can to gain an advantage on your opponent. Uh, but popping the, the map token to do an explorer and make this into a 3-3 flyer has been quite impressive. Uh, or you can use the map token later to animate it, <laughs> as we'll get into when we cover the uncommons. And then Miner's Guidewing, I've also been very impressed with. You get a 1-1 Flying Vigilance, and when it dies, target creature you control explores. So right there, three commons that all have flying. Fantastic. <laughs> Petrify has been impressive. Uh, one thing to note is that Black has not been performing particularly well. And I think that's because the spot removal doesn't work very well with the discover mechanic. So if your opponent is playing, well, and, and just cards that create multiple things like Cloud Guard, right? So like the more that your opponent is playing cards that create two rectangles, if you're using a single card to destroy one of those rectangles, eventually your opponent is just going to outvalue you. So since black is typically the best at single point removal, I'm not surprised that it's kind of struggling. But I have been impressed with Petrify. It's cheap enough, and really in this strategy, you're just trying to get rid of anything that is either outracing you on the ground or is blocking your path in the air. So being able to remove your opponent's flyers for cheap has been quite effective. We've got, um, as well, uh, Oaken Siren I've been really impressed with. You get a 1-2 Vigilance Flyer for one and a blue that can tap uh, to give you a blue mana, but you can only spend that mana to cast artifact spells or activate the ability of an artifact source. And the uh, the craft abilities in blue-white are activated abilities, so you can use this to help pay for craft, you can use this to help play your mini artifacts, including itself. If you get multiple copies, you can tap to bring out these guys, and then it helps you ramp into your six-cost craft so that you can do it much, you know, much sooner than turn six. So I, and I've been impressed that these have been going relatively late, too. I, I had one draft where I was able to get six copies. 
definitely recommend. We've also I've also been really impressed with Tinkerer's Tote. It is a artifact for two and a white that enters the battlefield, creating two one one colorless gnome artifact creature tokens. And once again, in a set that really cares about how many rectangles you have, this is three rectangles in one card, right? And you also have the ability to tap white and sacrifice it to gain three life. And because craft works with artifacts in your graveyard, you can sacrifice this and then craft with it from the graveyard and gain the three life. Uh, or you can use it to animate. Uh, it just gives you a lot of options. And then also the 2-1-1 blockers chump really well. So if you're racing in the air and you're trying to slow their tempo down on the ground, Tinker's Tote has been really good at doing just that. I've also been impressed with Inverted Iceberg. You get a um, when it enters the battlefield, you mill a card, then draw a card. You're not really you don't really care too much about the mill. Um, you know, if you mill in an artifact or something, you can use it later to craft, but you're not really doing the descend strategy. Um, but, you know, you, you still get to cycle this and create an artifact, which you can have synergies with. And then, but what I really like with it is that with, with Oaken Siren, you can craft this much, you know, for, for six, you can use your Oaken Siren to kind of ramp to that cost and flip this into... Uh, the 6-6, six, six, and I forgot to put the uh, the picture up on it, but you, you get a 6-6 six, six that when it enters the battle, or when it attacks, you can tap one of your opponent's things, or you can untap it. So it's kind of got pseudo-vigilance. And then I've been very, very impressed with Cogwork Wrestler. Um, you, you get a 1-2 flash artifact creature. When it enters the battlefield, target creature and uh, opponent controls gets minus 2, minus 0 until end of turn. And so this is like a combat trick that also leaves a rectangle behind that you can use later. And um, it single-handedly eats a 3-1. So I'm still surprised to see these going relatively late. I imagine that will change soon. But for the time being, I've been able to get multiple copies and I've absolutely loved including this card. And then um, Unlucky Drop is one that like early on its stats were just off the charts. It was doing incredibly well and it has since dropped, which we kind of, you know, it, I would expect, right? Um, it's still useful though, because it, so you're not strictly a tempo deck, you're kind of a tempo mid-range deck, right? And so if you're more towards the mid-range, then the less you'll want the unlucky drop, because bouncing something that has a good ETB is terrible, and, uh, you know, like, if they just draw it and play it again, it doesn't really get rid of the threat. But if it's a problematic blocker, you can get rid of it for two turns, and it is still decent as far as tempo goes. So think about how aggressive your deck is, and... Um, whether or not you want to include Unlucky Drop, but I generally have found myself including one because they are available quite late. It's quite easy to pick up. Uh, um, Orazka Puzzle Door is an artifact for one blue that has a colorless tap, tap it, sacrifice it, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of those cards into your hand and the other into your graveyard. And this is kind of like sleight of hand from pre, you know, from uh, Wilds of Eldraine, where um, you would run slide of hand if you wanted to get the cycle through your deck, smooth out your land draws, and increase the spell count in your graveyard. So this is kind of like, well, you're doing the same thing except for you're increasing the amount of artifacts in your graveyard, which is handy for craft. So this this one is uh, is kind of a filler card. You can definitely go without it, but I have been impressed with it. Um, for smoothing out your tempo plays and then giving you a mid-range um, item that you can use to craft has been quite useful. 
And uh, Waylaying Pirates is one that, like, you know, <laughs> I think it fits better in the tempo strategy of Is It, which I will cover tomorrow. Um, but I've been I've been impressed with this as long as you have enough artifacts. So if you control an artifact, tap target artifact or creature an opponent controls and put a stun counter on it. And um, so this one, you, you have plenty of artifacts in this archetype. And you can use this to remove one of your opponent's blockers while also increasing a threat. Um, so similarly, though, if you're more towards mid-range than you are tempo, then you don't want this card as much. So you kind of have to decide, like, am I trying to stall out and win through crafting or am I trying to win in the air? And the more flyers that you have, then the better pressure that you can put on your opponent and the more likely that you'll want to remove or slow your opponent's um, aggressive clock down and then waylaying pirates becomes better. If you're just trying to gum everything up and then win through flipping one of your artifact craft cards, then this is a little bit less impressive, but um, I still have enjoyed it. And then we've got Brackish Blunder for one and a blue, and this one is especially even further into the tempo side of things. If you are doing the mid-range craft strategy, and that's really where you're like heavily leaning into, then you don't want Brackish Blunder, because similar to Unlucky Drop, you just bounce something and it comes back, right? But if you're winning through early pressure, and especially early on in the set, people haven't been warranting having the ones one drops and two drops. Um, so you can have a tempo side to this, right? So kind of try to think about the pace of your deck again and decide whether or not to run the Brackish Blunder. I do think I prefer the Unlucky Drop to Brackish Blunder in this archetype because it does work a little bit better with the mid-range strategy, but is still a decent option for some interaction. And uh, the hidden cave lands, uh, I think we <laughs> need to be addressed in each archetype because there are some archetypes that want it and some archetypes that don't. So if you are going, I'm going to win by turn five, turn six, I'm going heavy into the tempo strategy, I'm just going to beat you up with flyers, then I feel less good about the tap lands. And um, because you want to start your pressure on turn one if you can, and certainly by turn two, and tempo can't afford to stumble, right? If you have to take a turn off of your curve because you only have a tap land and it hurts your early plays, it's so detrimental to tempo strategies. But... Blue-white's not necessarily a strict, like strictly a tempo deck, like blue-red pirates. And so I've found running one or two copies to actually be pretty useful. Um, you don't need to do a turn one flyer. If you do, it's great. Um, usually you can find some turn where you can get these in without it being too detrimental. And then you can start using your lands in the mid-game to outvalue your opponent, uh, because being able to tap four and uh, the color of the land and sacrificing it to discover four just makes your card into a threat. And um, and then my last note for the commons is Captivating Cave. I don't think that the set is particularly good to splashing. I do think that um, I've seen some people like Isaiah do a very good job at splashing for Jeskai and being like blue, white, red. And um, or being like strict like red white splash blue for the uncommon things like that. So if you're if you're finding yourself tempted to splash, the one way that I, I do think works relatively well for Jeskai for white blue red is Captivating Cave because you have so many flyers in the archetype. Later you can tap four and tap it to sacrifice it to put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. Activate only as a sorcery. And then you can tap one and tap it to add one mana of any color. So it's like Crystal Grotto where you can 
use it to cut, you know, cast something, but it's going to add one mana to its cost. So generally, I like these a little bit more when you have a cheaper thing that you're trying to splash, like in a braid in your blue-white deck or something like that. Um, but I haven't really found myself using this, but I, I thought it would, you know, if, if that's what your heart desires, then it's a good option. Now for the uncommons. We have one mythic level uncommon. 100% this thing is absolutely busted. Dra drafted if you have the opportunity is Zoetic Glyph. And you get an you get a, a two and a blue for an enchantment aura that enchants an artifact, and the enchanted artifact becomes a 5-4 in addition to its other types. And then when it is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, discover three. And uh, so you can make a map token into a 5-4. You can make a Oaken Siren into a 5-4 Flying Vigilance for three. And then when they remove it, then I mean it, it, they have to exile the enchantment specifically to prevent you from getting an additional card out of this. And it's not just a draw when it dies, it can also replace itself by getting a creature onto the battlefield. So the more creature-heavy you are, I think the Discover mechanic... I've found Discover to work better when you have more creatures than spells. So if you, there isn't really a spell slinger archetype that I've found yet that really wants to be all spells. And so this works quite well as long as you can hit a decent threat uh, that costs three or less. And then we've got Spyglass Siren, and uh, this one's close to a Mythic level uncommon. I, I it might it might be. I, we'll see in a couple of weeks if it if it holds. But a one one flyer for one blue that when it enters the battlefield creates a map token has been absolutely amazing. Right in a set that cares about two cards in one, this one starts it off on turn one, and then you have an evasive threat that you can grow with the map token if you want to into a two two flyer on turn two and just start beating up your opponent. We've got Clay-Fired Bricks, which I've been very impressed with, and um, you, you, so it helps you smooth your curve, you can, um, you know, it helps you uh, find your lands, you search your library for a basic land or planes card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle, and you gain two life, and this one has been just like an absolute game winner in the mid-range strategy. Uh, less so in tempo, because you'd rather be playing a threat on turn two, but if it does kind of move into mid-range, and I think a tempo strategy that has a backup plan of a mid-range is pretty good, right? So if you're trying to win through flyers and you just can't quite hack it, it's nice to be able to stabilize against your opponent's aggression by gaining the life, finding the land to continue to hit into six and seven. Six and seven lands can be tricky to hit sometimes. And uh, this thing crafts with an artifact into Cosmium Kiln, which is a artifact that creates two 1-1 colorless gnome artifact creature tokens, and then gives all of the creatures you control plus one plus one. And with combining this with other cards that like Cloud Guard and Totes, now those 1-1 tokens that enter are two twos, and it, this once this card is flipped, it is very hard for your opponent to win the mid-range game. I've also been very impressed with Staunch Crewmate, which is a 2-1 for one and a blue, and I've been surprised to see these still going relatively late, um, since you only need about 9 or so. I, 9 is usually what I shoot for, but if you hit like 11, that's great. I would guess that Sirkovitz is probably going to have a magic numbers on the ideal number that you need to get this to work, but I've not had a problem with this. <laughs> um, you get to reveal the top four cards of your library, and if you reveal an artifact or a pirate card, you get to put it into your hand. 
And um, so you, you get a 2-1 threat for two that then helps you outvalue your opponent by giving you additional cards and has been absolutely awesome in Azorius as well as in uh, Is It Pirates. I've also been very impressed with the Ruin Lurker Bat. You get a 1-1 Flying Lifelink for one, and then at the beginning of your instep, if you descended this turn, scry one. And this is just similar to the Guide Wing and to the Spyglass Siren. Is just like you can start pressuring your opponent on turn one, uh, which is just is uh, a very hard thing for your opponent to deal with, other than playing flyers like Oaken Siren in response. And I think this is partly why Green has struggled a little bit because. The good reach creatures aren't until like the Colossal Dactyl on turn four. Uh, you know, you get a four or five reach and then you, blue, blue white just plays a petrify on it and keeps the pressure coming, right? So it races incredibly well, has a lot of really great options at one and two for flying and um, is probably the reason why it's the most top, it's the top performing set, uh, top performing archetype in the set so far. And um, it's also not a complicated strategy, right? <laughs> like, pick up cards that have flying. Easy. All right, we've got Spring-Loaded Sawblades, which I've been impressed with. Uh, this one, it, it more so when you are going towards the mid-range threat, because if you are beating your opponent down heavily at the beginning, then the, the likelihood that they are attacking you becomes less, and then they're less likely to have a tapped creature that this deals five to. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're switching into the mid range and they're starting to pressure you, or you're trying to recover from your opponent's pressure, um, or remove an attacker that's, you know, racing you, then this has been very useful. And so it's a removal that then also turns into an artifact on the board that you can use to animate with Zoetic Glyph. Um, but then you can also craft it into a five-five vehicle, and it has a crew one, which with like totes and things like that has not been a problem to crew. And then you can tap two un untapped artifacts or um, to crew it if you want to use just like your map tokens instead of your board. And it's just a, it's a lot of really good mid-range pressure. Market Gnome is also something that I think goes in the Azorius craft deck. You get a 0-3, which is really good at gumming up all of the 2-2s and 2-3s in the set while you race in the air. And then later, when you start getting into that mid-range, I'm going to start crafting and outvaluing you. This is a perfect um, item to use because it draws a card and gains one life, even if it's exiled, if you're using it to craft. And then if it dies without good craft, you also it's also card neutral. You gain one life and draw a card. So it's very, very good in this archetype specifically. Duskrose Reliquary is definitely worth a mention. It is decent removal. You do have a lot of fodder between your map tokens, your 1-1s off of totes, um, that sacrificing an artifact or a creature has not been that much of a price to pay for being able to remove your opponent's biggest threat. Or, or And it has Ward 2, so if they do have some sort of artifact hate in their hand, like in a braid, they at least have to pay 4 to remove this and get their creature back. And... Um, it removes the it exiles the the artifact or creature and opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. So you can also hit if you're in the mirror match. You can remove your opponent's busted artifacts that they've crafted into. Lodestone needle and it's um, what it flips into. Guidestone compass has been very impressive. You can use it in the tempo strategy to remove a blocker for two or three turns and then craft for two and a blue into Guidestone Compass. And this one just eventually outvalues your opponent by triggering an explore every single turn. You do have to tap one colorless and tap it, 
But putting this on a flyer, giving a flyer plus one plus one each turn, uh, also smoothing your land draws, getting rid of the cards that you don't want into your graveyard has been quite impressive. And now for the rares. Unstable Glyph Bridge, which turns into Sand Swirl or crafts into Swan Swirl, Sand Swirl Wander Glyph. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about this set is that it is rather princely. There are a lot of good rares and because of the single point removal not working very well because of the two rectangles cards, the discover cards, uh, cloud guard, things like that. Um, it allows the rare, there's weird tension, right? Because you want removal for your opponent's crazy bombs, but your removal also doesn't work very well against some of the other cards in the set. And so this kind of sets it up along with the pace of the set in to be kind of a princely format. And we, we've seen some really strong rares. Uh, the rares have been doing quite well. So Unstable Glyph Bridge is a, is a Wrath, basically, for three and a double pip white. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, for each player, choose a creature with power two or less that player controls, then destroy all creatures except creatures chosen this way. So this can be a one-sided board wipe if you are the only one that has a power two or less creature. And then, but even if you're just using it as a Wrath, and then switching it uh, in the mid-game to craft with an artifact for a three double pip white into the Sand Squirrel Wander Glyph, you get a 5-3 flyer. Whenever an opponent casts a spell during their turn, they can't attack you or Planeswalkers you control this turn. And then each opponent who attacked you or a Planeswalker you control this turn can't cast spells. So it really it, it, it prohibits what your opponent's doing on top of already being just an amazing Wrath, right? So top performing rare... Definitely, <laughs> you know, definitely take it if you open it up and pack one, pick one. Uh, Thousand Moon Smithy has also been just absolutely impressive. Um, you get two, an artifact, legendary artifact for two and double pip white. When it enters the battlefield, create a uh, white gnome soldier artifact creature token, and this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of artifacts and or creatures you control. So if you go like turn one creature, turn two creature, turn three totes, which is three rectangles in one, you, you can play down the Thousand Moon Smithy and get like a 6-6 six, six on turn four, and then have plenty of options the following turn, at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase. So you can't flip this the turn it comes down, but the following turn, you can then tap five things on your board, untapped artifacts and or creatures, and transform this into a land. It will transform into an untapped land if you don't tap it itself. So the dream is having five things um, from Thousand Moon Smithy, which turn one, turn two, totes, and then the the six six that you made like gives you enough that you don't actually have to tap this. And the reason why that's important is because when you transform it, it's still going to be in the state that it was before. So if you tap it, it will be a tap. It will be tapped when it turns into the land. But if you can manage to do that without tapping it, you can then on turn five use it to cast an artifact or a creature spell and um, create another gnome soldier artifact creature token that has you know is a seven seven and it just like it just continues to grow um, and you just over it absolutely overwhelms your opponent. It's it, <laughs> it can be so demoralizing to play against and absolutely so much fun to play when you're on uh, when it's on your side. And then we've got the uh, Sanguine Evangelist, which uh, we've seen this, uh, started to see this in constructed play, and um, it's it's impressive in limited as well. So when it enters the battlefield, you create a one-one black creature token with a uh, black yeah, black bat creature token with flying, and 
So it's already two cards in one, which is really good in the set. And then when it dies, it also creates a one one. So you, you kind of get four cards in it. Sorry, three cards in one. And but the important part is that it's the go wide pump, right? So when it has battle cry, when this creature attacks, each other creature gets plus one plus zero until end of turn. So if you have a really go, you know, go wide board off of playing several totes, um, they suddenly all become two ones and your opponent just can't help it but get overwhelmed and swarmed by all of your attackers. And has been a very impressive card as long as you are going wide. And then we've got Warden of the Inner Sky, and this is a 1-2 for 1, and as long as uh, it has three or more counters on it, it has Flying and Vigilance, and you can put counters on it by tapping three untapped artifacts and or creatures you control to put a plus one plus one counter on it, and then it triggers a Scry. So not only is this helping you go wide off of using, or go big off of using your map tokens and your 1-1s, but it's also helping smooth your, your future draws. Um, it has been a top performing rare. And now for the blue rares, Subterranean Schooner is ridiculous. You get a 3-4 vehicle for 2, and when it attacks a target creature that crewed it, this turn explores, and the crew cost is 1. So you use a measly little 1-1 one, one token to crew this into your 3-4 that can start attacking on turn 3, and then the 1-1 one, one explores, smoothing your land draws, smoothing your card draws, and if you hit a non-land card, becoming a 2-2, two, two, right? So the, the pressure on this has been unreal. And um, there's some, so the one downside with this set is that like sometimes people play a bomb you just don't have an answer to, and Subterranean Schooner is in that um, category. It can just win games single-handedly. And we've got Akal Pakal, first among equals, which is a 1-5 for two and a blue. Uh, at the beginning of each player's instep, if an artifact entered the battlefield under your control this turn, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the other into your graveyard. And this works quite well. You've got an artifact theme going on in Azorius, and um, you know, a 1-5 body blocks a lot of the pressure on the ground, so if you're trying to slow your opponent's clock down, this does quite well. And then as you transition into the mid-range game, the uh, triggering additional card, you know, card draw is just going to eventually outvalue your opponent. The one downside with this is that if it goes super late, uh, if the game becomes ultra grindy, <laughs> you can end up milling yourself with this card. So <laughs> I have seen that come up a couple times. And then we've got Kite Sail Larcenist, and this card has been uh, very impressive. And I also like it just from a design perspective, because you kind of have to ask yourself, like, if the thing that you're removing from your opponent is worth giving them a treasure token, or if it's not, right? Um, but being able to remove your opponent's biggest threat and make it into a treasure token is usually something that's pretty, you know, is, is decent to do. Maybe just don't do it on, like, a 1-1 one, one token. Um, but you also get a 2-3 flying ward. Um, Ward one creature, which is just good. The stat, the stat blocks is a lot of really good pressure. Most of the the flyers in the sets are one ones or one twos, some two twos, so it matches up quite nicely against those. And um, you can also choose to do it to your own. You can choose a permanent, like if you want to change one of your map tokens or one of your one ones off of totes into a treasure, so that you can get in, you know, ramp up to your craft artifacts has been quite useful. And then Restless Anchorage has been very impressive. We got the rest of the tap lands, or the man lands, and so this one, the white-blue one, you get 
it enters the battlefield tapped it, it taps for white or blue and then for one a white and a blue it turns into a two three bird creature with flying and whenever it attacks create a map token <laughs> so in a set that part you know really cares about how many rectangles do you have on board a 2-3 flyer has been very impressive, and not to mention, you know, it's also a flyer. Right? Even if this was a 2-3 that created a map token, I still think it would be pretty good. But the fact that it has flying sends it over the top. And we have but one mythic. It's a little early, you know, the, these first episodes that I do, I, we still have yet to explore the set in its entirety. And mythics are a little bit slower to get data on and, and to play against. And I've come up against Resplendent Angel, and it single-handedly beat the game, beat me. If Especially if you get the three double pip white, it just seals the deal, right? You get a 3-3 three, three flyer for one double pip white. At the beginning of each instep, if you gain five or more life this turn, create a 4-4 four, four white angel creature token with flying and vigilance. And then you can tap three double pip white until end of turn resplendent angel gets plus two plus two and gains lifelink so you're attacking in with a five five flying lifelink that is difficult to deal with in the first place and then if it does connect um with anything right <laughs> even if it's blocked you still gain the five life which then creates a four four white angel creature token with flying and vigilance and just eventually overwhelms your opponent so the first week, I like to do a uh, double episode, so look for Is It Pirates tomorrow, November 22nd. And if you're watching this in preparation for the Arena Open over the weekend, I wish you all of the luck. This could be a tricky pool for Sealed because it is very high synergy, and uh, green feels dependent on some key uncommons, and black has been underperforming. So if you found this uh, episode to be helpful, please uh, help support my dream by taking a moment to hit like and subscribe and leaving a comment below. I really appreciate it. And if you want to go above and beyond, you can click join to become a YouTube member or subscribe on my Patreon. Or you can just come by and say hi when I'm uh, streaming live on Twitch. Links are in the description below. Thank you for watching to the end of the video. Good luck with your games and future trophies. Thank you all for the support, and I'll see you tomorrow.